You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or batteries for your trail cameras, Interstate Batteries has the batteries for your everyday life. Stop into a local retail location. They have thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States or go and visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. This is your host, Matt Dye, and I've got the infamous, the successful bow hunter of the season yet so far, Chainsaw Chad with me right here on the Land and Legacy podcast. What's going on, man? Not much. I may be a little tired. <laughs> it was a late night to? last night. What was late? What? Oh, that's right. You were clean and dear. <laughs> that, that's exactly yeah. right. It was probably a late night for you. Um, yeah, we've got a couple... Quick little hunt updates from what we've been doing, seeing, and then want to want to share a thought process with you. I think that is going to help landowners really grasp and understand what it is that they might be dealing with in, in the form of land management. And some things that I I think is oftenly often um, maybe misunderstood, or pro- probably a better term or phrase would be misinterpreted. Um, that will be a say a paradigm shift to the way that it has always been preached to you so we're going to think of it completely different so we'll get to that but but first let's cover some let's cover a couple of deer hunts and talk to me about last night oh uh, last night you know adam we had a, a really good deer on camera yeah so we all got kind of kind of <laughs> excited when that debuck daylighted he was in the plot he was there the before six thirty. yeah half hour before dark pretty early there, there was a lot of traffic on that plot. Uh, yeah, it's, and, it's and kind still, of, I mean, we just talked yeah. this morning. There was one this morning that walked through that's not that deer. It's and that plot sits not f- all the way out on a on a point, but it comes back in, and then there's a big drain off to uh, kind of south of it. But it, it seems like just movement in general. Whether it's got a good stand of uh, greens and 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 uh, annuals it in it, yeah. <laughs> But but I'm just saying annually, like every year, they 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 utilize it not only to cross but also to walk down and through. It's kind of like a little bit of a highway um, because of the terrain features and what's happening around that area. Well, and that that <clears throat> that plot is generally a doe area, mm-hmm. so it that's what it has doesn't have a lot of food on it right now. The plot gets does pounded. not. It's getting pounded. The difference is that's one that people have seen in, in some of the videos of the edge feather we've done. And, and fire from this past year. Yes, it's been burned yep. this past year. It, it's the whole edge, one edge of the food plot is is cut. It's cut all the way off the hill, the the infamous hill that's that you guys have posted so many yep. pictures of. Just it's off that. It's got a ton of habitat next to it is mm-hmm. the, the thing, and that's mm-hmm. why we assume there's so much deer traffic on that right now. But so Adam was on that one. Yep. I don't have a buck tag left, so right. I went to a clover plot that we've had a decent amount of like doe 
groups on, hoping yep. to hoping to uh, do a little doe management. And I got I well, and then I saw sixteen turkeys. Yeah, I know. You you sent a picture of that. Um, it's a gorgeous view from up there in that stand. Then it was just a plot full of turkeys. Like ah, oh, that's yeah. even sweeter. <laughs> Walking through eating, uh, they were picking at the clover, and then I was Stripping watching them. Seed heads. They were eating the seed heads off grease grass, yep. the purple top. Mm -hmm. You could see them just, like, yep. just picking them picking one at a time. Zip right back on that stem. So That's cool. And they, I'm not sure if there weren't, but just a couple mature hens in the group. So a good, a good successful hatch and yes. brood rear. So a lot of young turkeys. So I saw those, then had, had a, a doe come out. Early. I mean, she was out there really early. Yeah, she I don't was. remember what time it was you, when I texted you guys. I want to say it, it, you texted about five forty-five or so, and it was like doe out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she came out early. I shot her. She died within sight. Yep, that's what we like. Absolutely. And then had a another another doe come out. Not that much later. It, it really wasn't. I think it was about six. 20-ish or so it was yeah. a decent amount of time but still well during daylight because because we were all texting back and forth and at that point adam hadn't seen anything in the plot it was crickets over there but you're like more deer coming or or, or another doe out got number two <laughs> down or something like that it's like well chad's he he's definitely seen deer deer moving yeah. um it's just a weird night for adam to not see any over that plot because he could see a pretty good ways too yeah. And, and it's all it, it's a high deer f traffic area. Yeah, sure. Maybe you're not going to see that same buck, right? No, it, yeah. It's it's mid October. You know, these deer are moving around. It's not like a necessarily a set pattern. It's kind of the difference. Day, but. The difference in going after mature deer and just going somewhere looking to to manage your deer herd. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's mm -hmm. we had the cutties have shown us there's a lot of activity, and I mean, there's a lot of activity on both, but. You know, a lot of the activity where Adam was at is more bucks, and sometimes right. it just can be from one plot to the next. We, you know, we picked them up within a couple hundred yards that evening. Yes, that same deer. Just so it's like, direction. okay, he's he was in that area. We mm -hmm. just picked the wrong spot. Yep. Um, this was more. I mean, the doe movement is going to be more consistent. Sure. On those plots, and that's what they. Well, and especially uh, on a year like. This year, with very little acorn production, yeah, um, they're going to be moving. Now, there are a lot us. of black oak acres the, on the ground. There, there are a lot of black oaks. I was actually talking to Seth Harker this afternoon. He's like, I hunted um, one of the food plots. He calls it. He calls it the um, the buffet. You know which one yeah. that is. Way in the back, he goes, whatever acorns they are, they're dropping. Said so I'm pretty positive it's black oaks. He goes, they come to the food plot, then they then they leave and come back. And he's like, each group did that. So they're feeding on both of them. It's like, oh, right, that, that's good to know. Um, and then and then tonight they were seeing deer just coming right down the highway, but pouring out of black oaks and then yeah, coming out. That's what Adam and I went and looked at the logging yesterday and mm -hmm. where they're cutting. I mean, we're cutting a lot of black oaks and there's right. acorns everywhere. All over the ground. All over the ground. So Which, which – yeah, when that tree hits, and if whatever was in that canopy <laughs> just gets shook and smacked on the ground, there were there were a lot of deer tracks moving <laughs> through those tops. So. I like that. And we don't have any cameras in that, so we don't mm -mm. really know. And that's no, because you can't damage a camera. And then uh, I did in that 
It wasn't in the logging slash, but mm -hmm. in the previously logged stuff, I did. You put one ride, in there. I I rode up on that <clears throat> mature deer. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yesterday morning on mm -hmm. the e-bike, within mm -hmm. twenty yards of him. Yeah, I mean but they're they're there, and that's the cool thing. You know, you guys are trying to reach an objective, reducing antlerless deer. But sure, if a if a mature deer wants to daylight. Of course, you can still go after them and try them, but you're still moving forward in that goal of, of overall property management, which includes managing the land, habitat, as well as the herd that utilizes it. Yeah. And, and that's a two twofold project. Right now, it's just main focus is picking the targets, going to the spots. And where you hunted last night, it's extremely low intrusion, too. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, yeah it's it, it's an isolated little pocket, but deer obviously frequent it a lot. But you get in there, super easy to get to, access as clean as a whistle, and you're in and out, and you've got two does yeah. on the ground. That's what it's the doe management stuff. You can have nights like that. And on the flip side, you have a night like we had the night before that, where it was just seemed like nothing went right for us. Mm -hmm. It's like we get in there. It's we were at the Lebanon farm, which yep. we've always talked about the the cattle side of it, and the the cows bit us again. Had, <laughs> we experienced that. In full had the force. plan, <laughs> thought we had it worked out. We're like, oh yeah, the cows are moving away. We're we're yeah. good because they've put fresh. They've put a set of heifers in this pasture that we were hunting, and you know, you and I sat on the ground behind yeah. a pond dam. Which I know someone's gonna say, well, yeah, they were just interested in you, but. But they saw us walk across the pasture. They weren't interested in us mm -hmm. at all. It was it was absolutely 100% the deer that crossed the fence, got into the pasture. As soon as they locked eyes, basically, with those cows, those heifers came to the pond and then beelined it for yeah. those deer. A couple of those, I don't. they didn't even hardly look at the pond. They were heading towards right. the pond, and then they see the deer. And that's what the, the deer we had planned oh, yeah. to hunt. We're doing exactly what we wanted. Yep. We're getting ready. And we look over and it's like, here come the cows. And, and they, they turn and just hard. come towards the pond. And then one of them sees the the deer. And it was just like instant, forget the pond. I'm going to the deer. <laughs> and it so walked true. right to, to where those deer were at. The deer yeah. ran around. And still, like, the cows walked on by. They're, when you turn cows into a fresh pasture, it seems like they always make a bunch of loops. They're mm -hmm. they're curious and they're looking around yep. everything and checking fences, checking boundaries. Where's food? Where's water? These, all this stuff. These walked three circles in the time that we were there because yep. they they were finishing yep. up a loop when we got there. Yep. Then they came around that time, mm -hmm. and then they were starting another loop as Later the deer the were really coming. <laughs> but so oh. those deer went up. They start to come back down. We're getting all ready. I guess that was at the time. They are coming around getting all ready, and that yep. was when we look over and see a really nice young buck, mm -hmm. which there's been some good deer coming to that alfalfa yep. field that yep. we were hunting along. And, and uh, the the buck sees the cows. The cows are coming. It's just an instant To cut them off, and it was just like <laughs> he was going to jump the fence and go to the alfalfa. Then he sees the cows coming towards him, so he stops. We're trying to get ready when the deer, the does came to the pond yep. at 35 yards, and you're discussing whether to raise up and shoot or something and right. trying to get prepared. 
And I think in the midst of it, the deer just got nervous. The, so I don't know if it's from us or the from buck the cows. Got nervous. Yeah, the buck got nervous. He trotted back, so then in turn, then the does got nervous. Yep. And it just, they never would come down. No. They, they waited until five minutes too late, probably. Yes. Five minutes too late, <laughs> light-wise. Then they decided to make their break. And and kind of in the, the game of strength and numbers, too, because we had more deer as all this was occurring, happening, jump the fence and get into the pasture. So it was a it was a group of six to seven that were in the pasture, fifty yards or so and less, and and it was just too dark. Two of them made a break and came to thirty five, then probably about twenty five to thirty yards, and um, I was at full draw, but I'm. It just was not the shot opportunity yeah. that was that was worthwhile ethical to to try and take just super low light and two with all that distraction and everything going on we had a i mean we didn't really talk about it but we had an amazing hide where we were at we were yeah. working the backside of a pond dam because the the week prior to we had seen deer split that pond and kind of take two paths they just they just split around like a teardrop around that pond and kind of came back so we're like, just the way the topography worked and the way, the wind that we had, we're like, well, we really want to capitalize on on that movement. So we got behind the pond dam, had two little brush blinds, but if they decided to split around the pond, the pond dam was high enough. We just crouch, move around, get set up, and they're going to walk by, I would say, probably within under 40 on either side, pretty confident. And, um, man, it was a yeah, we'll, we'll, def- we'll, we'll definitely be trying that one again. Yeah, the setup wise was was not the issue at all. It it was the interference of of the cows that just held everything up. But um, with all the cows and movement and and whatnot, th- those deer were just on edge, and it was just flat out just too dark. So we we in front of deer, but <clears throat> that's the thing when it comes to bow hunting, man. It is there's always something. I mean, there, there's always these these different little. Uh, variables that that get thrown in your face. Um, yesterday, your hunt, man, it seemed to work out really well. Um, having deer come into a smaller plot, confined area, but you're able to get take two clean shots, two clean recoveries. Adam was in a high deer traffic area, no deer. I think he saw he saw a donut fawn early. That just like, like on the way in kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, super early, but like not come out to that field that plot and, and move through transition, nothing. So, yeah. and, that, that, and again, the, honestly, I think some of that's a little bit characteristic of mid-October. Yeah. Um, there, there still are a lot of different food sources around, whether you have acorns or not. There's the browse component that's still available. There is the food plot component that's still available. Um, and in this area that Adam was hunting too, man, they go up the ridge or down the ridge, they got food in any, any direction and, yeah. and, and good cover. So um, they just, I, I feel like it's just more of like a, a meandering type activity, like distinct, yeah. very day-to-day patterns here locally. I'm um, not saying it's everywhere, but here locally, it's just, I don't say haphazard necessarily. There's, there's a general flow, but they'll take this trail one day, <laughs> that trail the next day. And, that's that's the it's, difference it's, of your camera very, or not. It's very front driven too. Oh like, sure, for like sure. There, there's been, you know, it seems it seems like there's swings where 
we've been kind of warm, and the cameras are just dead. Yeah. Dead. Mm-hmm. We've gotten cold. Spike. And you're not on the Whistling Woodlands cameras. No. It was like. I don't need the first cold five yeah. five more cameras to look at five more home cameras. <laughs> the first the first evening of the cold weather was the first time in a while that we've had a thirty picture mm-hmm. where the the, the home Full. filled up in sin. It was like wake up in the middle of the night and like couple, whoa couple the beer moved here. tonight. Yeah, so that's yeah, awesome. it's it's that time of year. But but that's you're hundred percent right. Like yesterday. Um, it was a beautiful day, low 60s, pretty stiff wind, 8, 10, 12-mile-an-hour wind, pretty consistent. And um, it just it felt like, okay, deer are going to absolutely move. Same thing with today. It didn't get crazy warm, um, maybe 70, 71, good breeze, and deer moved. So definitely a front-driven type movement. So if you are getting out, be watching the weather, be watching those um, – those peaks and valleys, the highs and lows, you want you want drastic differences from days to nights, but you don't want the days to be crazy high. You still want to see these these good swings in temperatures. Like later this week, there's a couple days where the temp, overall temp is like 68, but the evening or the nightly low is like 56. Yeah. It's like 68. That's not warm. That's average. And then it's probably a little bit cooler than some of the other days. But at night, that's not this big temperature difference swing. So the push to feed may not be as, as drastic. It's like yeah. I, if, if I would <clears throat> expect with a high of that temperature to have a low of 42, 44, 45, something like that, it's just not the case. So just be watching your weather. Be diligent if you can pick some days ahead look for some bigger temperature swings some fronts cooler that's what cooler i was temps. i just looked at the long range forecast it does show they're throwing like some 30 to 40 percent chances on in like the end of next weekend so gotcha. it's like, yeah. but 24th 25th october there's a lot it's like now, now we're getting into a different game there's some other elements the things yeah. that are happening um that are that are absolutely going to change some movement but you can look forward to it a lot more than me <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to be stuck behind the camera on you're behind days. the camera or whacking some does but it's probably pretty nice though you just go to a stand to say man i'm i'm literally it's just straight doe mission it's doe mission yeah. Sure, buck hunting's fun, but you had a great a great hunt, and <clears throat> you took can advantage of it. I can go there and expect to see a lot of bucks. <laughs> Absolutely, you know that would happen. So. <laughs> Man, well, that's a that's a quick wrap up on on some of the hunts. But one of the other things that we wanted to talk about was I, I had this thought the other day, and I, I feel as if we have just been looking at things completely backwards when it comes to something that all hunters are familiar with. Chad, you've seen the poster of the Boone and Crockett distribution map of like county by county across the whole U.S., right? That distribution map of or the frequency of harvest per county, right? I think every deer hunter in the country probably has. Not not only have, have they looked at it, they've studied it. Especially like, you know, growing up, Southern Missouri, 
Adam and I always <laughs> yeah. referred to as the armpit of deer hunting. <laughs> and it's one of those, you, you always looked at that map like, I live in that white county. Why yeah. are the other ones got color? <laughs> I, I live in those terrible counties down there. It's like, it, you gather your buddies up and head to northern Missouri public ground right. just hoping for a chance at something. I'm at least in the in the counties with some green. I think it goes like, it goes like tan. Maybe it goes green, tan to orange to like a deep red or something like that. Yeah. But I, but regardless, yeah, there's there's a lot of states that just don't light up with all that color like many of the other ones. Yeah. Uh, everyone studies it and wishes, man, if I just grown up in that area or if I had just been there or, or could hunt there or maybe I'll travel and, and spend a couple weekends with the buddies on, on a uh, public ground adventure to counties that are producing on average more bucks that are totaling out antler score wise in a Boone and Crockett. So what else is ap- after you study that what is the biggest conclusion that everyone draws, though, from, I mean, from studying the map? I think map? we've also all seen the map comparisons <laughs> where they compare the Boone and Crockett map yep. to the crop map. Absolutely. Crop production map is then overlaid on the Boone and Crockett map. I mean, that, that's, a, that's so common. And if you haven't seen that happen, your brain probably just shifts to well, that's where all the crops are grown. That's that's the crop production areas. That's the most fertile soils. So so to have that frequency, to have that type of experience in uh, an age structure, in a quality of deer to be able to harvest in your general neighborhood, you feel like the next closest thing to do would be to plant crops, right? That's yeah. that's I what mean, we've been told. That's what we've been preached to. If you're not in this area, adapt and take the good from this area and move it to your area. Take what you can here, learn, take the best, scrap the rest, and apply it to your own I mean, property. I mean, that's that's obvious. Human nature is to look at look at that and think, well, that's how I'm going to get. That's that's the that's the key to me getting in that same thing. Is I've got to I've got to simulate what they have there. Yeah, I've got to take that and put it where I'm at. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. first time somebody buys a big chunk of land, that's their first thing. Is I've got to get crops. I've got to get crops so I can have a place like Iowa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> any of these or, or or any of these crop ground areas that are in that map. I've I've been to fortunate enough to been been to a lot of different properties and and I hear the phrase well it's not the midwest or it's or it's I'm trying to create the feel of the midwest just here or um some something to that extent because of essentially what it is we're talking about everyone's seen these maps everyone has make made these conclusions or that's just a commonly ad- adopted uh tr- line of thinking that to have the same success that, that is experienced in those areas, we need to do the same things. Bring southern Iowa, bring Buffalo County, Wisconsin, bring southern Minnesota. The bring golden Illinois, triangle. Yeah, bring, bring, bring <laughs> all that to south Georgia. Bring all that 
to Pennsylvania. Bring all that to Tennessee, southern Missouri, Arkansas, wherever you are. Try and create the same thing. So that's the, that's the let's say, original line of thinking. But there's a lot of flaw, flawed, let's say, processes in that. Because I think what we commonly accept to be f- truth and factual is if we don't stop and think for a second, how else could this be perceived or, or, or interpreted? How else could we interpret this map? And I think the biggest interpretation that we should take away is that the areas that are, let's say, the white counties that, that don't have the productiveness across or the, the number of entries in the Boone and Crockett scale, whatever's occurring there currently, the management, maybe it's heavy pasture, maybe it's heavy timber. What that map tells us is that current land use type and the way it's been managed and it's whatever its production is of that natural resource, it's not conducive to producing Boone and Crockett deer. Yeah, if and if if you're listening to this, if you've never seen the the Craig Doctor Harper's research mm-hmm. of the the different soils, more, yeah, the, the different plants. soils and the native plants and all of that, he he really, especially his presentation at the QDMA National Convention, mm-hmm. where he really emphasized the the difference in management of those poor soil areas. Yep to the the more productive soil areas. In a a quick nutshell, it did not matter soil type, soil productivity, soil fertility. When you were managing the native plants on any of those sites from a scale of poor soils or poor, poor fertility to higher fertility, the native plants still pulled adequate and above what was needed or required for deer to function fully and express all potential Throughout and the he, landscape, he he really <clears throat> he boiled it down to, it's not the fact that there's crop that the cr- it's not the crops it's it's the crops the the way they're managed. Absolutely, it's that in these poor soil areas, it's a different type of crop that's managed. Mm-hmm. It's timber, yes. generally. Yes, I mean it's a slow crop. It's a slow turnover crop. Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of those that if you can change the way you manage those crops, then you're going to benefit far more. Right. So so instead of the typical, if you're in those counties and, and your crop is not row crop agriculture and, and, you're, and you're in a, in a cattle country or in, and you're in hardwood timber country or pine production, what that map shows you is that to produce the Boone and Crockett's that you're seeing elsewhere produced in the country, don't follow suit with all those same practices that are occurring because it just says to you right then and there, that's not the way to do it. If you are in cattle country, we have to manage cattle country different for recreational value and for the benefit of wildlife, wild, uh, excuse me, white-tailed deer so that we can sh- show and prove, which we know is the case, that no matter where you're at in the country, you put the right vegetation on the landscape you're going to produce Boone and Crockett deer. But that's not what I see on the hunting shows. <laughs> <laughs> it's still... And, because and everyone what, goes to that crop country uh, field. And I think, I think everyone, if you listen to this, and they're in these poor areas, 
if they've done it long enough, they've it, it probably worked. all done the mistakes that we've done in trying to plant those crops and went yeah. through the struggles of that. And, you know, we used to you, do... You read any magazine, you're immediately told plant corn or plant soybeans in your food plots. Yeah. That's you, what you should do. You're, you're trying to recreate those those crop areas. Correct. So you're, you're going <laughs> Whether in... Whether you have a half acre or you have yeah. three acres. That's what I was going to say. We, we've all it's done those. I mean, we used to do soybeans on a lot of ours and mm-hmm. are still, like... Ideally, we would be doing heritage on a lot of our plots, and we're yeah. still working on some on tweaking systems and everything. But but it goes outside of the food plot yeah. aspect. It's it's a total, and that's why I think we get hung up all the time. Is the, and the point I just the the takeaway main takeaway from the podcast is it's about land use. Mm-hmm. It's not about two percent of your property it's not about five percent of your property which is average food plot acres for most rec places it's about the land use if you can manage that in a way that is outside of the typical bounds of your neighborhood and put it in a more productive way that is having young forest early successional plant communities old fields you're going to be able to produce boone and crockett deer period Bar none. See, if you have a big enough area and landscape and age structure, you can do it outside of crop areas all day long. So you're telling me that how many how many acres is your place? Oh, it's thirty five. So you're telling me you're thirty five big acres, so. So you're telling me you're not gonna take five percent of that and plant it to corn? I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want bears? Yeah, right. <laughs> no. No, thank you. That it is, it is. I guess going back, going back to the map. If you've looked at that map and only thought, I need to get to those areas, you've missed the boat and the window, and realizing the potential that you have in front of you. But you, you, ju- your, your option to manage those areas, those counties those regions of states that are, that seem to be less productive in a Boone and Crockett entry um, standpoint are just as productive if managed and put in the right scenario on a native landscape situation. Do you want me to sum up what, if somebody, if somebody just bought, Oh gosh, I'm scared. 200 acres. (laughs) Okay. Say they bought 200 acres and that's what they've, they've looked at that map and they've decided they're, they're going to, they're going to bring, Iowa to southern Missouri, mm-hmm. and they're going to plant. They're going to plant soybeans. You're about in to every, burst some bubbles. Every food you, plot. Do you do you want me to sum up what they've got to look forward to? Sure. <clears throat> so the first I'm scared, year, but sure. The first year, they <laughs> may have going to be. They may have honest. some good soybeans because yeah. we did that. Yeah, we yeah, had yeah. good soybeans. Right, and it was awesome. Yep. to You're look like, at. I'm the man. And we had some. Decent little bucks coming in there, and yep. you had some deer movement, and yeah, it was cool. Yep. By year three, we had six-inch soybeans. Right. That may have been year two even. Right. It doesn't matter what brand soybean you plant. Yep. They're going to eat them to stubs. Yep. And you're going to sit there all summer and look at it like, uh, what am I? That soil's just baking there. Because yep. you've probably already started to look at soil health. <laughs> you're like, that's not good. What am I going to do? So you start researching, and it's electric fences. 
Right. I'm going to electric fence them. That's going to be the key. I'll I'll protect these beans so during so antler development season, just yeah. for hunting season. Yeah, just so that? I can I can hunt something over standing beans. So then you struggle with getting electric fences going, and you get you get knocked knocked in the dirt countless times through the summer working on that electric fence, yep. trying to keep the beans out of it and trying to do that. Right. Because you're all sweaty, too, and it hammers you. <laughs> it's a really good ground. Yeah. So then you're going to be mad at that. And then and then it comes through in, in, in following years when you're trying to get your fall plots established, you realize, man, too many in deer. all of this, I've got, I've got too many deer. I've got crabgrass problems. I've got goosegrass problems. I've got all these other problems. And I've seen no benefits. Yeah. Or it's like, I'm going to do corn, and now you've got 10 coons. bears on your place. And coons. I mean, we did, some, we did some corn this year kind of as a – I mean, we always do a little bit just yeah. to mix it up. And I kind of – we kind of like the mix in with beans, mm-hmm. and it provides some protection. But, I mean, that was where I went in. We really didn't have any bears in it. It was all right. coons. Right. It's maybe a couple acres of corn in that one that produced – and that was where I'd walk in there in the daylight, in the middle of the day, and there were coons sure. running around in it. Right. It's like, right. If if you were banking on that, that's your you've management got style that you've tried to adopt because you 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 took the bait and you believe that in non-crop areas, I need to bring the crops here. That's like a square peg in a round hole to produce something that that can be produced. Well, I'm talking about what's being produced, Boone and Crockett's, that can be produced if we just look in, I, I would say just be realistic with what it is that you that you bought or you own. If you own hardwood timber stands, why are you bringing crops to the hardwood timber stand, the crop country feel? Manage the hardwood timber stand because when you do have productive hardwood timber and a managed understory that's that's routinely burned the the forage component is pretty phenomenal and the cover yeah. component is perpetual well, it's, it's it's there like every single at, year you look at some of the stuff that we've done some uh some restoration work on really rocky mm, yeah yeah some of the south facing slope that might be flat i mean it might be Pretty flat, but really rocky, really shallow soils. Mm-hmm. If that's your flat ground to plant, to plant your crops in, yeah. In you're 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 not going to see your soil be drought resilient in your great 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 grandkids' lifetime. Yeah. No matter what you do. Yeah. You're not going to build soil that fast. Right. You're going to deal with drought every. Every year. Every it year that it wants to rear it its ugly head. You're yep. going to have dry through the summer, through the fall. We're kind of in that pattern now where it's in the fall. Yep. You're going to have dry spells. And those soils like that are going to kill you on your crops they every kill you time. you and your crops. <laughs> but, but that's the, – the, the, the map, I guess, is, is clear to me to just say – if you want to be productive outside of the crop areas, don't do what's currently happening in those land use types. Don't adopt 
what everybody else is doing. So therefore, you've got to change up the game. Your property has to offer and look different than everybody else's in the area. You don't need the crops to make productive antlers. You, you, you don't need it. The native forage is 100% supplemental. You just need to have it readily and accessible and at the, the amount to be able to feed and support deer. And, I mean, every single year, there's, there's, a, there's a, 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 whether they're entered or not, in all these counties that everyone says, oh, that just doesn't happen that much. There's still big deer in those counties. They get killed every single year because they found this place Maybe it was a, a recent clear cut and they lived and grew up there for three or four years. They had access to this stuff. They got some age on them. They got killed. And you're like, my gosh, where the heck did that deer come from? That's in, that, you know, hardly ever any big deer come out of there. Well, it, it was this like micro perfect scenario situation where it had the ability to get old. It had great groceries for four, for four or five years. And here we are seeing some fantastic deer in what is typically characterized as unproductive areas for wildlife. But we need to, we need to just as we're learning from the Boone and Crockett map, we need to learn from that and say, let's marry those two together, right? I, I just need to realize that outside of the crop grounds, I need to change up the game. I need to realize I can't just do as everyone else is doing and i yeah. shouldn't be bringing the crop ground to me because that's not the la- that's not the best land use there anyhow for yeah. doing what you're trying to do and in the same sense have realistic goals yeah i mean know your ground you set goals but don't set them so high that they're unattainable right unattainable right the lack of sleep's getting too much <laughs> but it's like it can be very frustrating. Like if like your place, you just bought right. it. If you had your goal where I'm not going to kill anything that's not a booner, I would not be killing anything for a really long time. You, if you, ever, you may quit hunting and start golfing again. Right, right. I mean, that's the thing. Absolutely. It's like don't don't set goals so high that they frustrate you to the point where it's not fun. I think that goals. Goals can be a moving target for, for, you know, especially in a land management. If you're, if you're, and I'm air quoting this, if you're not in a good neighborhood and you're trying to, to work on the overall neighborhood deer herd, year two and three, your, your four or five year old is not going to be, or shouldn't be that same average as year eight, nine, 10, through intensive management into the system. You should be seeing maybe your 140 turn into your 160 at five years old, deep into your management. But it's a moving target. Work off of age, have your bases, five and a half, whatever case may be, and, and, and be satisfied there, but know that it can, and over time it will increase when the property allows it to be basically increased. And when the herd suggests that it can produce bigger deer, if you, I know we talk about it all the time through the month of October, but, oh, well, we'll bring it up again. 
you you can't really accomplish this. You can have great managed habitat, but too many does at the same time, and you're not going to see these increases over time. It's not going to be this continual climb of um, bigger, better deer, whether it be antler score, um, body weights, whatever the case may be, if you just have too many deer on the landscape. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. That's a, that's a rut that you can get stuck in. And that, that with every year, that's happening more and more Absolutely. across the country. Yes. Yes. I feel like we, we have backslid a little bit from the heavily early mid-adoption of QDM practices. That was a that was a definite like, and it still is a pillar, 100% that is preached. It's just a forgotten pillar from a lot of um, adopters well, the, of QDM practices, you know, the, unfortunately. It's the first one that I feel like slips. The first reaction to starting to see mature deer is to scale back the pressure. That's yes. your first reaction. When you start right. having mature deer around, yep. that's your first reaction be is very to cautious. cut back the hunting. Mm-hmm. We don't want to. We don't want to pressure this too much, or I may push him over on the neighbor, and the neighbor right. will kill him. Right. That's it's easy to do. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have good cover, that's a that's a potential likely scenario. It could happen. It may not, but it could happen. But if you have the best cover in the area. You can hunt your properties there a, more. There were multiple doe groups, or the multiple does went through the plot that I killed two does on last night and drove the four wheeler in and hauled does out and. They went there at night on. Yeah. during daylight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. There's decent cover around. Nowhere near what it will be. But sure. There's decent cover and. Better than the surrounding properties. Yeah. A high value food source, and so yeah, you you. It, it, it's all this marriaging, marriaging, that's a that's a new word, marrying <laughs> of all these or blending of all these different aspects of land and herd management. We have to put together we, to get the full story and get the full scope of, of everything that we're talking about. But I guess, you know, to, to wrap this thing up is, is things aren't, we don't, <laughs> I'm doing a horrible job of wrapping this up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take things for face value. Look deeper or maybe change your perspective in the way that you that you are commonly taught some um, to look at factors, this this poster, the Boone and Crockett map. Learn from it in, in a different way and and be don't be normal in your land management when you're looking around. If if your neighbors are asking why or saying, What the heck are you doing? and you're going on a more wildlife-minded route, and um, you're managing just differently. It's probably a good thing, because you know that research suggests this. So I'm not going to go that route, and I'm going to produce more native forage on my property than this just pine monoculture. I got more out there I can do. So look at things differently. Be realistic in your neighborhood, but but realize that there's more potential in these states, regions, counties that don't get all the love. It can happen there just as it happens in a lot of different places if the right techniques are done. So hopefully that was encouraging and not discouraging to people. <laughs> <laughs> 
If you're in I mean, the crop hey, country, hey, cool. If, if you need encouragement, Adam and I grew up in an area that, I mean, we grew up here in that so 120 low. inch eight points were as big as our deer got. They don't get any That's bigger than that. That's what you were told. They don't get any bigger than that. Yep. They don't have any bigger deer than that. We grew up, we called we called the Whistling Woodlands the uh, land of the, the land of spikes. <laughs> I mean, that's what we referred to it as when we yeah. first hunted it. Yeah. And then and a couple of years ago, we had donuts that went <laughs> over 190. Yeah. So, yeah. It can happen. And it, then and then uh, many other deer are well above the, the spike in the 120 range right now. Yeah. Cruising, roaming, loving it. Daytime movement. Absolutely. So, um, things change. Don't just accept them for what a poster says. Be critical. Be realistic. Be intentional in your management. And you can have some awesome hunting opportunities. Guys, appreciate you checking this podcast out. Um, we got some new videos dropping on YouTube, so check those out as well. And uh, we'll catch you back here next week on the Land and Legacy Podcast. See you guys.